write a note. I'm going to read it. And you know, it occurred to me that this is the greatest story ever told. All right? Without a doubt, it is the greatest story ever told. So as I'm thinking about a message, I said, you know, what's the title of the message got to be? <laughs> the greatest story ever told. Now, here's the problem. I don't know if you guys are music or, or movie people, but there's a movie titled The Greatest Story Ever Told. Now, the runtime on this movie is about three and a half hours. Okay? <laughs> three and a half hours. So, and it just deals with the Gospels. But as I'm reading, I've started in Genesis. So, I'm not going to keep you for three and a half hours. <laughs> but how long, I cannot tell you. Amen? Okay, so what is the greatest story ever told? The greatest story ever told is a story about a loving God who created beings to live with him and to love him eternally. Amen. Who loved those that he had created so much that he gave them instructions on how to live a life beyond their wildest dreams. He knew that we would separate ourselves from him and give up dominion of a world that he created perfect but he knew that we'd give up dominion of it. Our God knew that time and time again, we would disregard his instructions, but he continued to guide us, even though we refused to follow. In spite of all of that, he had a plan before any of it even started to bring us back into relationship with himself. Mm, mm, mm before he knew that this relationship would come back and he would be able to live with us eternally once again. Now, I'm telling you, this is a truly the greatest story ever told. Now, to, to begin the story, we got to go back to Genesis, and we got to go back to Genesis 3, and I'm going to start in verse 6. So I guess we should be happy that instead of saying, in the beginning, because that really would set a precedent, right? So Genesis 3, 6, we're talking about original sin. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And here's the part I have a problem with. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, here's my problem, because if he's who he's supposed to be, he says, baby, step back. I got this. I got this. All right. We'd be out of all of this. We wouldn't have any of this problem. God said, I have dominion, baby. I got this. No, weak, mealy mouthed Adam. Does what when she hands it to him? He says, okay. <laughs> That's a problem. That is truly a problem. So he took it and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Duh. And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called out to Adam and said, Where are you? So he, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, What you talking about, Willis? God said, What are you talking about, Adam? How do you know that you're naked? Did you eat of the tree? So here we go. Then the man said, Lord, that woman that you gave me, that woman that when I woke up and I looked at her, I said, 
Whoa. Man. I've just thrown under the bus. She did it, Lord. She did it. Okay. So he said to the woman, what have you done? And she says, It was the serpent that deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, God's handing out cursings now. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. All right, we'll leave that. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is a big part here. Because that word desire is only used three times in the Bible. And in this context, What that word desire means is you will seek to usurp authority from your husband. Okay? But the next part says, and he will rule over you. So right away we see this is the way mankind will now live in conflict. Perfect man, perfect woman. It's all good. Sinner enters in, there's a problem. There's a big problem. And that problem has plagued us from that moment until this. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed shall be the ground for your sake. In toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now remember, God had intended for mankind to live forever, to not decay to not turn into dust and blow away. But once again, because of that original sin, everything goes bluey. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, the only covering for sin is blood. We just listened. I know it was blood. Just for me. So the next verse we look at is verse 21, and it says, Also Adam and his, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now there's only one way you can make a tunic of skin. There has to be some shedding of blood. So although it was a covering for them, why? Was it going to get cold? I'm not sure. But the main purpose was there had to be a shedding of blood for the covering of that initial sin. And God is the one that provided that shedding of blood. Original sin separate or separated us from God. And that's horrible. Additionally, it separates us from each other. And that's where we are today separated because of original sin. If we go to Genesis 4, it's the Cain murders Abel thing. Can you imagine? They're brothers. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, Cain was not the first person. There were other children, but we're starting with Cain because 
men are showing up. Apparently, the other children were female to this point. So Cain shows up, and she's, she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Okay. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel brought, brought the, of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, here's the thing. Are fruit and grain offerings acceptable to God? Sometimes? Yeah, absolutely they are. Numbers 18, 12. All the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and grain, their first fruits they offer to the Lord. I have given them to you. So grain offerings, fruit offerings, vegetables, cool. So what's the problem here? Why was he, why was Cain rejected? Because it was a sin thing. It was a sin offering that he was supposed to be bringing to God. God asked for a sin offering which required blood. Got to cover the sin. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So God gives Cain the opportunity to get this right, to go back and do what he should have done. Hey, look, you missed it. Okay? Sin offering, you missed it. Just do it. If you do it right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And it's, oh, you're not reading with me, it's desire. Is for you, but you shall rule over it. This is the second time that we see that same word, desire. Once again, the idea is sin seeks to control you or to master you, but you've got to rule over it. Okay, You cannot let sin rule over you. Now, here's something that we probably all didn't know. Sin wants to control us in everything we do, and in everything that we, we try to accomplish. In Genesis 4, 8, Now Cain talked with his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. At this point, sin has mastered Cain. Okay, he's murdered his brother at a time when everybody was related. There was no racism. There shouldn't have been any animosity. This is your brother. Okay, yeah, I know you grow fruits and vegetables and he has sheep. You think he would have given you a sheep for an offering? I'd say so. But now, here we go. Sin is just starting to... Go down that road. See, it's funny because some people would have us believe in this country or, or believe that the original sin of this country started with slavery in 1619. Okay? So I kind of have a problem with that because when you look at sin, when you look at sin nature, when you look at sin and how sin is, if people showed up in 1619 toting slaves and there were people already here, do you think that the people that were already here had already enslaved others that were here? How long has slavery been around? Since the beginning of man. Why? Original sin. We've got to understand that. Slavery is a sin thing, just like so many other things. At this point, there had to be a replacement for Abel. 
But again, we're dealing with a God that knows everything. So maybe there really didn't need to be an, a replacement for Abel because God knew Cain was going to slay Abel anyway. So, but there's a new son in town. Genesis 4, 25, 26. Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son named Seth. For God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, who Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. Then men became, began to call on the name of the Lord. Or as the NLV translated, at that time, men began to worship God using his name. We're going to move forward, and we're going to go to Genesis 8.22. Ooh, we're flying now, right? <laughs> we're going to talk about Noah. And this is after the flood. Because once again, sin continued and continued and continued to the point when God looked at it and was like, I got to do these folks. I got to do everything around here. You know, God's reset button. So God hits the reset button. They're in the ship, in the ark, on the water, up and down. No drama mean. Nothing else. And all the animals. They finally get to dry land. They come out of the dry land. And it says, Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So what does that mean? Noah's just made an offering that was a sin offering. Because once again, blood had to be shed for the offering. And the Lord smelled the aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will, I, nor will I again destroy every, every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Okay. Political statement? Does this kind of negate our, our whole green aspect of things? Summertime and harvest, cold and heat? My God says. And if he says it, I'm with him. All right. So now, remember when Noah's doing the sacrificing, that there weren't just two of every animal. Because a lot of times we think it's just the two of every animal, right? Mm -hmm. But Genesis 77, 2 tells us that God already had provided an offering for himself before they ever got into the boat. You shall take with you seven of each clean animal, a male and female, and two of each animals that are unclean, a male and female. Excuse me one second. I am as dry as the Sahara. <laughs> so now we're going to turn to Abram in Genesis 12, verses 2. Verse 2 and 3, actually. And this is after God has told Abram to get yourself out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Take a road trip. <laughs> And God says to him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here God is talking to a guy who is literally named Great Father. Who does not have any children. So Abram's looking at him like, okay, okay, Lord, if that's what you say, that's what's going to happen. So, all right, I'm with it. So he packs his stuff up, and he takes a trip. Now, if we go to Galatians 3, 8, it says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before saying, 
in you all the nations shall be blessed. So now, because of Abraham, and we're going to get to this in our next set of verses in 15, Genesis 15, we see that all of us, not just the Jew, because at that time they weren't Jews, but now all of us are blessed because of Abraham. So, in verse 1 of chapter 15, it's the covenant with Abraham, or God's covenant with Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in the vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I have, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one in my house, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it, or he accounted it to him for righteousness. In other words, Abram was put into right standing with God because of his faith. Now that just kind of shows us how big this faith faith thing is and why it is so important for us as well. So because of Abram's faith, God was, or Abram was in right standing with God. Right after this, we see Abram and God enter a covenant. I've had technical difficulties as long as we can see here, but we're going to push right through because to enter a covenant, what has to be involved? Blood. Okay. And what they used to call it was they used to call it cutting a covenant. So you get these animals and you right down the middle. One animal, one part of the animal on this side, one part of the animal on that side, and you'd walk down the middle of it and it was called cutting a covenant. But it took blood to cover sin. It also took blood to ratify a covenant. And that's big too, because as we go down our, the line with this story, we see how important that is. And we already know, because I'm basically preaching to the choir, right? <laughs> So this is why this is truly the greatest story ever told because it's sort of like a tapestry where you see a bunch of, when you turn the tapestry over, you just see a whole bunch of colors and stuff and everything else, but it's until you turn it over, you don't get the complete picture. That's why we need to be in the Word of God because the Word of God provides that complete picture that tells us, what God wants us to know that informs us and helps us to understand what it is that God has for us, how much he loves us, how much he has gone through and goes through for us just to bring us back into relationship with himself. When you get to types and shadows, part of the tapestry. Uh, I'm in Romans. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of transgression of Adam, who who is a type of him who was to come. So now Adam was a type of him who was to come. In other words, Adam was a type of Christ. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift 
is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in in the condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For it is by one man's offense death reigned through one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of the righteous will reign in life through the one, Christ Jesus. So now, because of Adam's sin, we all are in this situation that we were in. But glory to God, he had that plan, and that plan was Jesus Christ. That he would come. That he would do what he did. He would shed his blood because once again, we have to have the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. Now, before I've been talking about blood covering sin, whole new game, whole new covenant, all right? The old covenant, the blood covered the sin. The new covenant, the blood cleansed the sin. The blood redeemed us. The blood brings us back into relationship. That's the difference. That's part of that types and shadow thing. I'm just giving you road signs. I'm just giving you a, a, a foretelling of what's to come. When you're coming down the, going down the road and you see a great big green sign that says, this way to wherever. So when you see these things in the Old Testament, nothing but road signs leading us Christ. Let's look at Adam. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's look at Abraham. He's got a new attitude. Got him a new name. Amen. Genesis 22. So now we were talking about faith. So now we're going to talk about Abraham and his faith being confirmed. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now this is a test. To take your only son. Yeah, 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 I know. Not really his only son. But in God's eyes, it's his only son. It's his only son because that other son he got came from that sin nature. That nature that said, you know, I know God said this, but I think we can work it out. I think we can make this happen. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like the world today? I think we can work it out. If we think hard enough, if we surmise hard enough, if we put enough stuff together, I think we can work it out. Here's a question. Why don't we just listen to God? (laughs) Makes sense to me. Just listen to God. It's easy, it's quick, and there you go. All right? So it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, what it doesn't say is he went into his wife, Sarah, and said, Sarah, (laughs) see you later. I'll be back. Uh, We're going to go and offer Isaac, and we'll be back a little bit later, okay? Cool. Didn't do that. Then on the third day, so now this is a journey. On the third day, he lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young man, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder to worship, and we will come back to you. Three days journey. The lad and I will come back to you. Now, this is actually the first mention of the word worship in the Bible. And in Abraham's mind, this was going to entail sacrifice. So when you come to worship now, 
should it entail sacrifice? Let's do our second type, Isaac, verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Now, you can see like the wheels turning in Isaac's head. He said, my father? Abraham said, yeah, here I am, my son. He said, look, I see the fire. I see the wood. I know what's coming because I've seen sin sacrifices before. Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So they continued to go up to this mountain. Now here's the thing. How old is Abraham at this point? Okay, because he's 100 when Isaac shows up, right? And it says that he's a lad. So, you know, a lot of times when we get these Bible stories, we have pictures in our minds, what's going on and everything else. Do you ever think that Isaac is like, you know, maybe 12, 13, you know, 7, 8, 12, somewhere like that. In actuality, the word lad says that he can be anywhere from 13 to a young adult in his 20s. Okay? He's carrying wood. So Isaac isn't any youngster. Nor clearly is Abraham. He's already had a three-day journey. Now he's mountain climbing. Alright? He's mountain climbing, right? So, then they come to the place of which God told them. Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. Then he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now here's my question. Isaac's in his 20s. Abraham has traveled three days, has climbed mountains, had built altars. Do you think he really would have been able to catch Isaac if Isaac didn't want to be a sacrifice? I think he'd have had a hard time. Another, what you talk about, Willis moment, right? What you talk about, Abraham? So we see that Isaac is a willing sacrifice. So now he's a type of Christ. He's that willing sacrifice that knows what's coming and understands what's coming, but allows himself to be bound and lays there and allows the next part of this to happen. And it says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Okay. <laughs> and Isaac's laying there. Wow. Yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> can you can you imagine that? Wow. Whew. All right, so Genesis 22:11 though. And no type needed. But the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. I've been waiting for some doggone interruption. I've been waiting, Lord. I was I was going to do them. But I'm glad for the break. Now, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, there's something special about this guy. Now, we saw him first appear a little earlier in Genesis with Hagar. But now here he is back again. And he says, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now, 
I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And all of the sacrifices that have ever happened, all the sin sacrifices that have ever happened, have any of those sacrifices been to an angel? Never. Ever. So this angel is special. And in essence, this is the pre-incarnate Christ speaking to Abraham, telling him, hold on, wait a minute. Sorry. Sometimes I just have to, you know, get back to those things. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Now, notice Abraham didn't have to have Jesus tell him, there's your sacrifice. He knew immediately, and he went. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, when you think of a burnt offering, that's work. When you read the laws on offerings and what has to be done for an offering, you're talking slicing and dicing and gutting and um, blood and everything's everywhere. So again, 120-some-year-old dude, but at this point, I think he's slicing and dicing like a vegematic at this point. <laughs> okay, and you've got to be a certain age to know, actually know what a vegematic is. So it's good to be preaching to the choir. <laughs> Unfortunately, the choir is a little old today. <laughs> okay. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. Amen. Jehovah Jireh. How much more would our lives be changed if we truly understand or understood, I'm sorry, and embraced the notion of Jehovah Jireh? When things so get so crazy, when we get all of that agita or angst and the things that happen to us, if we just understood Jehovah Jireh, my God provides all that I need, all that I ever need, all that I think that I need, he provides. Mm. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. Hmm, angels don't generally swear, right? <laughs> Says the Lord, Because you have done this thing and not have withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which are on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now let's look a little bit more about this seed thing. In Genesis 26, 4. Once again, it's saying, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if we go to Galatians 3.15, it should make this whole seed thing clear. Verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is not only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and his seeds. 
as of many, but as of one. And your seed, who is Christ. And your seed, who is Christ. So clearly, it is through Christ that all the nations of the earth are blessed. Because of his sacrifice, because of what he has done for us, because of his shedding of his blood, because of his making a new covenant for us, we're all blessed. Amen? That is the thing when we look at this whole greatest story ever told. Yeah, they wanted to show us the Gospels and the miracles and all the other things, but this whole 66 book thing is a miracle. When you look at a God that knew the end before the beginning, that put it together in a way that is so unfathomable that, you know, Jules Verne or the the greatest writer could have never even thought about that. That, in essence, Jesus the seed would be the fulfillment of the promise. In Romans 3, verse 10, it says, There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. So that now we see that the only way we can be in right standing is through our faith that is exhibited in Jesus' blood. That his blood covered our sins, didn't cover our sins. It redeemed us from sins, or sin, singular. He paid the price and provided the fulfillment of the promise. You know, today we seem obsessed with bringing about change. We need change. We need to have change. Things need to be changed. Things are so wrong. But what we are constantly trying to do is we're trying to change things from the outside in. Now, that's coming from our natural minds. How else can we do it? We've got to change these things. And we've got to make a change. We've got to do it. And, and what we, the way we need to do it we, we need to force change, you know. We need to legislate change. We need, we've got a new thing now. We actually need to shame people into change. But all of that comes from the outside in. Problem being, hasn't worked, never worked, never will work. Just wasting our time. See, the thing we have to realize is that real change comes from the inside out. And the way it comes from the inside out, it happens through that regenerative process that's brought about by a relationship with Jesus. You know, here's the thing, as Christians, we have a wonderful opportunity. We have a wonderful mandate. You know, the reason that I was so thrilled and excited to be able to be before you today is to be able to encourage you. And I have a friend, his name's Ken. And I've known Ken for almost 43 years. Took me a while just to think about saying that phrase. <laughs> we met our freshman year at college. You know, Ken's a great young man, and you know, Ken dropped out of school and went, and he he enlisted in the army, and you know, we're still good friends. We still talk to this day, and 
um, Ken's a believer. And I was talking to him not long ago. And Ken said, he said, you know, as a kid and growing up and even as a young man, he said, you know, I never knew about Christ. No one ever told me about Christ. You know, he will tell you, and when we talk, he will recount the day that he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was on this date, at this time, and here I was. And he said to me, he said, you know, if someone would have told me about Christ, I would have accepted him. Now, are you having that feeling that I had then, that I have, I'm having now? That feeling that what an awesome responsibility we have when it comes to witnessing to a lost world, taking advantage of opportunity. Now, it's all good because Ken's saved. Ken's an ordained minister. Ken actually is a bishop in his denomination at this point. But can you imagine that someone that is doing things for God could have gone to hell because he's in the service and something happened and he didn't know about Christ? Kind of makes us want to step up our game, I hope. When you look at where we are as the church, when you look at what's important to us as the church, is there anything more important than that? Getting folks saved. Once they're saved, growing them up in Christ. Teaching them how to live an abundant life. Now, in actuality, you know, Living this abundant life is wonderful, but come on. This is a temporary thing for us as opposed to eternity. So how important is helping people realize eternity? I know there's outrage today. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. But in a temporal versus an eternal picture in a picture that says yeah I know what's going on now and as believers and as those that believe in our Lord Jesus Christ we never want anything bad to happen like God doesn't because sin separates us from God so sin is anything seems like today we have selective indignation okay We choose and pick what we get indignant about, what we get outraged about, what is the biggest issue around. But let's get it right. It's all sin. Sin is an archery term. You shoot an an arrow. You miss the bullseye. You have sinned. What we're looking to do is to hit the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. We're looking to hit that mark that God gives us in his word. And anything less than that mark is sin. Second Peter 3, verse 9. I'm going to read it from the NLT. It says, the Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now, that's big. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell eternally. But he wants that everybody would be saved. And that they would repent. Because that's the first step to being saved. 
the idea of turning 180 degrees from where you were headed and to pursuing Christ and his ways. And verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Look, we got a job. We've got a real job here. We have to decide that we need to major on the majors and not on the minors. So, what is the moral of this story? The greatest story ever told. The moral is, Christ is the answer. It is simple. It is straightforward. It is effective. And we have the privilege to offer the invitation to a relationship with him. When the world starts looking upside down, when deception is at an all-time high, when viruses have us locked in our cribs, when there's rioting and looting on our streets, when others are demanding that the way to resolution is that we must agree with what they believe. Remember, Christ is the only answer. After all, it's the greatest story ever told. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have provided us with the greatest story ever told. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided us with an opportunity to carry out your will, to be ambassadors for you, to reach out to a dying world. We thank you, Lord, and we pray. We thank you that the fields are white for the harvest. Lord, we're asking that you send more laborers, that we will be able to do your will and provide to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.